King of glory, we desire to be continuously in your presence. And we bless you, Lord, for a glorious and great day that you've given us today. We continue to pray and beseech you that you'll give us the grace of Father focusing on you in everything we do, think, or even say. We pray that we'll not be deluded by, Lord, the attractions of the world that make their way into their lives every other moment. We are counting on you and waiting on your spirit to continuously guide us into your presence through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We have prayed and believed. Amen, amen, and amen. Uh, a glorious day, my dear friend, uh, this morning. My name is David Kagwa, uh, reaching you with the word of the Lord to the Church of Christ without borders. Our purpose is basically to glorify the Lord um, uh, no matter where you, uh, your spiritual allegiances may be. For us, the sense that uh, we are driven with is basically fellowship with Christ and uh, salvation in Christ. That is our point. We are not denominational in nature. And that is uh, our point right here. Friends, you must have heard by now, probably in uh, your days when you were growing up, and uh, some people kept saying that um, following God is a very boring thing. They tell you that uh, <laughs> if you get born again when you're quite young, they get to tell you, I mean, you're getting into this order lifestyle and you're, you're, you're going to have a life that is really, really boring. And now, friend, I'm here to uh, completely refuse that and uh, to speak about a very, very mouth-watering topic as we wind up Psalm 84 um, that speaks to the contrary of that uh, subjective statement and feeling. Um, I want to talk about a topic that is entitled uh, The Insurmountable Value of Dwelling in the Presence of God. The Insurmountable Value of Dwelling in the Presence of God. Uh, friends, finally, we are getting to the end of Psalm 84. We've been doing uh, an exposition of this psalm for some time now. And uh, today I'm very, very certain that we are coming to uh, the end of this psalm, not the end of the word of God, not the end of our teachings, but basically we are bringing this to a close. And uh, we say that for those of you that could be joining us today, uh, you do well to know that we've been doing an exposition of the whole psalm and uh, that uh, we have these teachings available on an online podcast called Mission Ezra 710. You can access every other teaching that we've done about this psalm and many others on that podcast. But we started out by saying that uh, this psalm was basically written by the sons of Korah, and we say that Korah was uh, a Levite of uh, the uh, Kohathite uh, division among the Levites, and we say these were some of um, the most privileged because they went into the Holy of Holies, for instance, and they took care of the most holy stuff in uh, uh, the tabernacle. And even when it came to the temple days, we say that they still, at some point, had a division of worshippers that went in there to worship the Lord, and they were really privileged. But we say that Korah, at some point, got into uh, a rebellion and a, a strong one, and um, he, you know, um, had kind of an uprising against Moses and uh, him and 250 elders were destroyed on one day. The earth just opened up and swallowed them and closed up again in a, an act of um, miraculous divine intervention and judgment. And thereafter, 
it appears like the sons of Korah who survived that particular incident um, in, in, in the lineage of Korah, it appears like they go to behold the great grace of God upon their lives bestowed upon them. And uh, yeah, they, it appears like they became very remorseful and sought the face of the Lord. So uh, they get to attribute and attach an intense, indescribable um you know, value to the presence of the Lord. And so they yearned to go before him. And we said in those days, the spirit of God wasn't everywhere yet. Uh, neither could you worship wherever you wanted. And every single person was required to go to um, Israel and to Jerusalem in the temple where the Ark of the Covenant was, which basically was or represented the presence and the manifest presence of um, the power of God. So through that, he's been yearning for that. And we say that so they, um, they, they, they would trek from all over Israel and sometimes from the diaspora to get to Jerusalem so they could worship the Lord. Now, on the grounds, on uh, the background of uh, those facts, we've been doing an exposition of this psalm. And today we come to the end of this. Yesterday, we looked at um, uh, the seekers' incomparable treasure and quest for the presence of God, uh, basically in verse uh, 10. That is what we saw, and uh, we looked at lots of things uh, down there saying that the presence of God uh, basically qualitatively cannot be compared to anything else. And therefore we say that when the seeker realized that, he also followed this up with an action because faith without um, works is dead. Today, we want to study um, Psalm 84, verse 11, uh, Psalm 84, verse 11 that is what we are going to do 11 and 12 and uh, briefly those are the last verses in this psalm it reads and says for the lord god is a sun and shield the lord bestows favor and honor no good thing does he withhold from this um from those whose way of life is blameless you hear that lord almighty uh, blessed is the one who trusts in you so basically what we see in verse 11 of Psalm 84, it is like um, the seeker here goes right ahead and illustrates the benefits of dwelling in the presence of the Lord. That is what he basically is doing here. Now, if you're careful and you look at um, the meaning laden words here in the, the verse that has been laid before us in verse 11, you um, get to see five major benefits of dwelling in the presence of the Lord. Contrary to um, some people's uh, allegation and uh, submission that when you go before the presence of the Lord, it is boring and they want to imagine that life is in the world and uh, basically pursuing the waywardness of uh, carnality. Um, the truth is we are made and crafted to dwell in the presence of the Lord. A fish is made to derive its life in the water. And once <laughs> you withdraw it out of the water, you simply killed it. Even when a woman can go to the market and say, I want a one that is not rotten. In Uganda, it translates as life. I want a live fish. I want one that is still living. But actually, they are already dead. And um, they're just, uh, you know, a few moments away from getting into a stench. Why? Because they are basically um, terminated and withdrawn from their medium of life. So th this is how we are, definitely. This is how we are, and we're going to be delving into uh, these details. Friends, there are five major benefits that are made manifest out of this verse, if you look at it uh, quickly. 
it says for god lord is a son yeah, that is the first key word there meaning what meaning direction and shield what does that mean protection yes thank you and the lord bestows favor and honor you see that favor and honor and uh, some versions are going to call it grace like new american standard niv uses favor and honor um some versions are going to call it glory and i prefer um glory uh, there no good thing does he withhold from those whose way of life is blameless and what is that provision you see so there are five major benefits that uh, the psalmist speaks about here one he says that the lord god is a son and a son basically is a representation of light and direction in the darkness so that is direction and he is a shield all of us know what a shield is for and uh, when we get to look at it in perspective in scripture it doesn't actually depart from uh, the common meaning that we know and he says the lord bestows a favor or a grace um, upon us which means grace for salvation and sustenance like we shall see and uh, he gives us glory or honor an honor which distinctively um, sets us apart and uh, connects us with uh, the divine nature of God. And finally, he speaks of uh, those who fear him not lacking any good thing. Listen to it verbatim. He says, no good thing does he withhold from those uh, whose way of life is blameless. You see, provision. And uh, finally, he winds up by saying, Lord Almighty. Um, NIV uses Lord Almighty, but ideally this word in the original this is not wrong but to bring out uh, the proper perspective of his meaning he finally says lord almighty which means lord of hosts in other words the highly exalted god of the heavenly armies blessed is the one who trusts in you so ideally he says uh, that um uh, the person that seeks the lord is ultimately blessed and is not just blessed but is blessed in the very best way possible and he's blessed by the lord of hosts and therefore uh, it is is final and no one can detract this kind of blessing from them basically that is what he means so friend if you're the sort of person that thinks you made a loss when you came to christ uh, i want you to get to understand this today that you've not lost a single thing but you've actually been uh, you know uh, your life has been bestowed with a lot of privilege uh, privileges upon you Okay, let me just uh, go through this and with the guidance of the Spirit of God and my friends so you'll be able to appreciate this. And as I do this, I'm really praying that God will uh, open up your life uh, to the attention of this truth such that we will know that we have the very best. You know what the devil does is he gets you to kind of feel like you've lost by going to God, you've lost out on the world, and yet the real intention that he has is that he will get you out of fellowship with God, take you into eternal damnation in the process. And very soon I'm being led to teach about the last days and um, the, the eternal punishment and damnation that is going to come. Very soon we are going to start that, my friend, very, very soon okay first of all he says for the lord god is a son and i just want to uh, draw my first point from there in fact um like i've said there are five but ideal i'll seal it up with another very powerful one um one he says that the lord is a son or the lord is a light uh, that is what some of uh, the versions are going to 
call it that the Lord is a sun or a light. Now, one major benefit of us dwelling in the presence of God is direction. It is direction that God gives you direction. You see, the presence of the Lord gives you direction. In the presence of the Lord, you fully get to understand things the way that they are meant to be. And you walk out of the myopia of the darkness of the world as it appears. Uh, you see that? That is what it actually does. Uh, the psalmist says the Lord is a son. Now, theologically speaking, there are two forces at play in uh, the spiritual realm and uh, generally speaking in the universe. Uh, one force is the Lord himself, incomparably powerful, you know, omnipotent. You cannot actually have a discussion about that. That is not something that has to be discussed. But for the sake of, um, you know, uh, subjectivity or... Uh, okay, objectivity. Um, yes, we can say there is also the power of darkness or the other power or the power of the devil. Now, the devil is basically called... Um, his power is basically called the power of darkness. This is why when John is speaking of um, uh, salvation, in uh, uh, he's contrasting salvation with sin or the evil fallen world system. In uh, John chapter 3, he says that uh, this is the offense, that the light has come into the world and the people have chosen darkness. You hear that? So down here on earth, friend, the problem is that uh, the world is dominated and led over darkness. Not that God is not in control, but ideally the fallen world system is under the subjugation and control of the devil, who is the prince of darkness. Ephesians chapter 2 <coughs> um, talks of him as the spirit um, or the prince of darkness. Now, this is not um, a, a very weak being like people want to imagine. He has quite a powerful establishment, but of course, in comparison with the Lord, he's no match. But ideally, to a normal average fallen human being, uh, he's also no match. And the average fallen human being is no match for the devil. So, what the psalmist actually says here is that the Lord... Uh, the presence of the Lord, and therefore the Lord himself, is going to be our light and is going to give us direction in this world that is full of darkness. Friends, the challenge is that um, when someone is in the darkness and uh, they are, um, you know, um, drilled, uh, they are kind of submerged by the darkness, what actually happens is they will not realize that they are in the darkness, except when the Lord opens it up unto them. So you walk in this life and you have sight and you seem to be in charge of your life and you seem to be doing well. But once you don't have Christ, you are in the darkness. It is Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 14, 12 that teaches and says that there is a way that seems good unto a man, but the end of it is the way of destruction and death. You see? So, every single person that is not in Christ is in the darkness. And friend, if you want to understand this, look at us. We people that we are walking in that kind of life, and now that we are in this life, you can properly get to see a distinction. There is a distinctively drawn line that separates these kind of two lives. You see? The things that I used to do before I came to Christ... Uh, when I look at them, I'm, I actually get ashamed about them. I really do. I get ashamed about them. There are people that I meet in my life, and it's not that I don't really want to meet them, but they remind me of things that we used to do together, and you don't want to reckon them. 
it is a hard and a very hard thing, complicated. You see, in Psalm 27, the Bible illustrates this. The Bible says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? David is speaking of the life that he had walked. He still calls the Lord his light and not just light, but salvation. You can see that these two are related. If someone is walking in the darkness, um, they don't have light. In the darkness, you are bound to, I mean, hit your feet upon the rocks and you're bound to fall into danger without you knowing. You're bound to, I mean, face all these kinds of dangers. You're really bound to face them because you're walking in the darkness. Should I tell you what? Many people are walking in the darkness without knowing they are. And friend, this is our cry. That walk out of the darkness. Just get out of there. You know, all of us used to walk in there. And we thought we were in charge of our lives. And we thought life was making sense. And actually, it goes right ahead to elusively, uh, you know, deceptively convince you that what you're doing is the right thing. But the moment you are walking in darkness, you're separated from Christ, you're separated from God. Uh, the Bible calls it the commonwealth of Israel, and uh, you have no hope. That is the problem. The writer of uh, Psalm 119, in uh, verse 105, a very common and familiar verse, he says, your word is a lamp uh, for my feet, a light on my path. You see that? He uses the synonym of the word of God here uh, to also imply he, God himself because God is like his word. In other words, if you are walking with the word of God, it sheds light on your path and you're able to avoid the dangers and the traps and uh, the force of the enemy that he waylays you with. You see, friends, there are so many people that are walking in the darkness in the world by the way they do their investments, by the way they conduct their relationships. And the major danger is they don't get to see that they are walking in the darkness. If you find someone like um, Solomon having 1,000 women at that point before his transformation, he could tell you uh, things are okay. But after some time, he comes out and he says, all this is vanity and chasing the wind. You know, there are many that today are still walking in the same way, sometimes against their will, and the powers of darkness have bound them. But our prayer is that through such messages, you shall reckon the voice of God inviting you out of that kind of darkness, my friend. There are people that are bound up in, in habits. There are others that are bound up with a spirit of achievement, stopping at nothing, even if it means killing a man or a woman, for that matter. And... This is the spirit of darkness. It is the power of darkness that draws men and binds them unto itself, not wanting them to be saved by God. I want to show you ultimately that Christ is the essence of light and through him God is um, saving people, prepared to save more for as long as they submit. In Isaiah 60 and verse 19, I find a language that is very uh, connected to uh, what you see in Revelation. Uh, also, um, chapter 20, uh, 21, chapter 21. Uh, so you're going to listen to this here, my friend. Isaiah 60, 19 speaks of him being the light, of God being the light, ideally Christ being the representation of the light. The sun will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you, for the Lord will be your everlasting light. 
for the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. Your sun will never set again and your moon will wane no more. The Lord will be your everlasting light and your days of sorrow will end. Then all the people will be righteous and they will possess the land forever. They are the shoot I have planted the work of my God for the display of my splendor. You see that? He's actually, this is a, a millennial language, millennial kingdom language. These things are not going to happen until uh, actually they are post-millennial. They are actually post-millennial. He's speaking of the new world because uh, Isaiah was using a technique that we call in theology a uh, prophetic foreshortening. He sees things that are going to be in the far distant future as if they're happening today by the grace of God he saw them. But this is what you see after the creation uh, of uh, the new world and a new heaven in a uh, rev uh, in a revelation you get to see that um my dear friend in revelation uh, chapter 21 you see the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem coming down from from heaven and friend you want to be a part of that so in other words christ is going to be the source of light in that uh, new earth new world that will be created by god now for those of you that wants to uh, that want to get a, a, a foretaste of this glory will come christ into your life this is what you need friends there are things i used to do and um you know it was hard for me to break out of them but once you have um, light in you the darkness flees this is what you need people that are fighting with uh, you know habits people that are fighting with addictions people that are fighting with you know uh, personal glorification and stuff of that nature insatiable appetites in one way or the other passions in your life all these um you know works of darkness if you want to get the full catalog this is something that you can find in galatians chapter 5 as you know it uh, you know five, chapter 5 19 uh, to uh, around 21 you see all the works of darkness if you get to see those in your life you know uh, the darkness is kind of permeating your life and you need the light to come and flash it out and this is something that god does um, gracefully what the seeker says in psalm 84 which is our major um you know passage there is when you expose to the light of the presence of the lord then these things begin melting out of your life and god is willing to give you a new life and a new life of his light secondly um he has spoken of um um the lord being the shield in still verse 11 of psalm 84 he says the lord is my light or my son and my shield when he speaks of the shield what he actually means is that the lord is my protection Friend, if you don't want to get into deception, you must know that we are living down here on earth and it is quite dangerous. We are living in a world that has quite a powerful enemy. It uh, has quite uh, a powerful enemy that uh, uh, we, we have before us. A very, very powerful enemy in the form of uh, uh, the devil, my my dear friend. So you need protection from the Lord. You really, really uh, need protection from the Lord. And that is the only way that you can be secured. Uh, permit me to go to Genesis chapter 15 to elucidate the point of God being our shield. Um, to elucidate that point. The Bible says, Genesis 15, 1, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Uh, Abraham, meaning father, um, um, you know, prince, uh, father of 
of your father of an, an exalted nation. Don't be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? <laughs> you see that? Yes, uh, what is happening here? Abraham had just gone on to uh, that uh, mighty, glorious war, and uh, he had uh, just won a mighty victory over a coalition of five kings. He had beaten them and uh, put them down, and um, oh, oh, he was under fear that they would come and uh, retributively attack him. Uh, you see, so he was worried about that. Even when he had beaten them, he had an army of about 280-something people, but uh, because of the presence of the Lord and his power, he was able to overcome such a mighty, mighty army. So he was worried about that. Now God comes to him because God knows the secrets of men. He understands them through Christ. We know that this is true in John 2, uh, 23, 24. The Bible teaches that Jesus did not give himself over to them because he did not need the guidance of anyone to understand human hearts, for he knows all hearts. You see that? He knows everything about us. So God discerned and looked at his heart and knew that Abraham, his friend, was afraid. And therefore he went to him and told him, don't be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield and your great reward. You hear that? Another benefit that we get out of the presence of the Lord. In other words, God is saying, it is me that made you overcome these five governments, and it is me that is going to protect you against them. There are so many people that are worried about lots of things. People fear witchcraft. There are people that are worried about the darkness. People fear failure. People fear enemies. They fear attacks from government and lots of things. And let me tell you, this is why the Bible cautions us against um being in drill to the spirit of fear. You see that? It really, really um, implores us and says that the spirit of fear is a spirit of the enemy. This is why as a believer, you're not meant to fear a single thing, not witchcraft, not the darkness, not, you know, you're not meant to fear anything. Why? Because yours is the greatest protection in the Lord for as long as you have fellowship with him. This is the thing. So the psalmist says that when I go into his presence, I actually have this protection. In my life of ministry, I've been posted to various ministry stations, and one of the forces we've had to deal with has been witchcraft. You know, um, one of uh, the major welcoming <laughs> approaches in some of the places we ministered in has been witchcraft, and people bring it and drop it there because you know that the enemy has his agents and is against the work of the Lord. And friends, you know what? I've seen the powerful hand of God at, at, at work. And people also fear. There are several things that people fear. People fear failure. You know, uh, people fear heartbreaks. People fear lots of these things. But um, the term that is used here in Hebrew basically is about physical protection. It's about physical protection and uh, it's not about these other things. People fear attacks from, say, thugs and insurgents, uh, uh, that kind of thing. The presence of the Lord is that wonderful protection that is upon our lives. Hey, friends, that is upon our lives. We've been in places and um, there was a commission by someone from um, the League of the Enemy upon our lives. And the person that was commissioned at some point got born again and testified in a conference and said, when you attack those men, they have a ring of fire about them. And this is something that we never beheld about ourselves. But when you study Psalm 34 verse 7, it tells you that uh, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. You see that? 
in, in, in Zechariah chapter 2 verse 8, the Bible teaches that whoever touches us, uh, touches the up of the eye of the Lord, which basically means that uh, it, it is, um, it is effectively impossible for anyone to do it sufficiently as to the point of um, making someone lose their life, at least not in the spirit. Yeah, we can be attacked in the physical, but what God is saying here, that the ultimate result is that we are protected. Friend, there are people that cannot rest. There are people that are worried. There are people that can't go to bed and sleep soundly. Why? Because they see this thing tugging at their heart, tugging at their soul, their inner man, this pulling them and pulling uh, them the other side. They get nightmares and stuff like that. But once you are sure that you're under the Lord, he says he is our shield. And that is why the psalmist in uh, Psalm 3, in verse 3, he says, I shall lay down and sleep. Why? Because you are with me. Uh, you, you understand that, my friend. May the Lord protect you that you get to stop um, fearing. There is nothing that shall happen to you that God has not purposed. And even when they happen, God has everything under his control, my dear friend. So that is the other benefit that we derive out of the presence of of the Lord. Then thirdly, he speaks of um, grace. He speaks of grace, but NIV calls it what? He calls it favor. He calls it favor. He says uh, in Psalm 84, which is our Psalm of focus, he says, for the Lord God is a son and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. Um, the other translation calls it grace. Yeah, and I want to prefer, I prefer grace over favor, but we can use both. The Lord releases his grace and favor over us. His presence simply does that. In other words, he means that when someone is into the presence of the Lord, basically he's been favored. That is what it means. He doesn't mean that you're going there and therefore you're getting favor, you're getting grace, but you've been favored, you've been given the grace, and this is what leads you into his presence. And friends, the grace of God releases you into the goodness of God. There is nothing that God ever does in our lives because we are worthy of it. Yeah? There's nothing that is credited unto us. In accounts, there is something that is called an accrual. You know, in accounts, if you have an accrual, this basically is something that you must receive. But everything that we partake of in the spiritual realm, that we partake of in our walk with God, is basically because the grace of God has bestowed it upon us. You, you see that? Um, basically, His grace um, um, and, and, and is synonymous with His presence. Uh, you see, that, that is what the writer there on that occasion means. You go in there because, one, the grace has drawn you, and uh, you're going into further grace. Eh? That is where you stand. Paul speaks about this in Romans um, chapter 5, that we stand in that grace. And um, um, Peter says we grow in that grace. Let me just do um, Romans 5, and he says that uh, in grace we stand uh, basically, it's a powerful, powerful thing. He says uh, in Romans 5, 1, that therefore since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace, yeah, in which we now stand, and we boast in hope, in the hope of the glory of God, yeah, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, and so on and so forth. Yeah, he says, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access. 
through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace, yeah, in which we know uh, we now stand. Uh, in, in perspective, if you go to Ephesians 2.8, you actually get to understand that grace and faith work together and it is at their intersection that you get to experience salvation. But now he says, even after that, when you are saved, you're still standing in the grace of God. Yeah, He sustains you by that grace and in one way, it is the agency by which uh, you continue to be sanctified. Sanctification meaning continuous purification in the presence of the Lord. So, in other words, the presence of God is dipping you further in Father grace. This is meant to help people that struggle with one thing or the other, and all of us do. You see, there are people who feel like God has forsaken them. There are people who feel inadequate for the Lord. Just realize that you're in the presence of the Lord. And the more you realize this, is the more you're going to behold the grace of God. And as you behold the grace of God, it grows you further because it is by grace that we come it is by grace that we enter and it is by grace that we stand that is how it works and we are expected to grow in this grace it does not mean that his grace is going to change in any way but you grow in it he's speaking of the perspective of the way that you discern it you understand it you behold it and therefore you surrender more that is what he basically means when he speaks of this same thing in second peter chapter 3 in verse 18 he says but grow in the grace and knowledge of our lord and savior jesus christ to him be the glory both now and forever you see that you can grow in this grace where you stand in other words uh, this is what paul says he wants to discern and understand more uh, you know um his 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 weed if his bread if his you know his depth uh, basically that is what he means there the point is when you go into the presence of god you discern more of his grace you discern more of his goodness you discern more of you know you, you simply go deeper into his presence you behold more of your unworthiness but the more you behold it it does not mean that you're saying um probably i'm unworthy therefore let me walk away but you're like oh god i wasn't worthy of this so you continue uh, discerning him and loving him father and surrendering more because you see that he's bestowed upon you the very best thing um over which you were actually unworthy this is the thing and these are times that you get into deep deep worship and you're like oh lord how come you ended up loving me with all this filth that i had you get to discern yourself much more uh because you're growing in this grace and therefore you end up um releasing the same grace to others this is what it means to walk by the spirit friend you, you understand that you you discern yourself more in, in the grace of god as the lord reveals himself more unto you in his presence that is what the seeker there means and friend without this grace and without growing in this grace you do not get to understand the goodness of god this is the essence of life other things get uh, to win and they become much more smaller you 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 begin reducing the value that you attach to other things and you begin holding more unto the lord because of this grace in which you are grace does not only save grace sustains and grace gives us more understanding and discernment of who we are in christ i hope you're trying to get this it's a deep 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 um fact here that we are dealing with you, you, you see so uh, this is what suspends you, suspends you over the things of the world. And this, this is the time that you get to and you're like, if it means walking with nothing, as long as I have Jesus, then this is okay. Then this is okay. You see? 
Uh, this is why I love uh, Fernando Ortega's songs. Uh, like he has one that says, give me Jesus, give me Jesus, give me Jesus. You, you can have the whole world as long as you give me, uh, as, as long as you give me Jesus. I, I, I really, really love his songs. Now, the other benefit that we see that we partake of is the glory, is the glory of the Lord. In our psalm of focus, he says uh, that um, for the Lord God is a son and a shield, the Lord bestows favor and honor. Now, what NIV calls honor there is also translated glory in uh, Hebrew. Uh, is also translated glory. So he gives us honor and glory, but I think NIV is better here. Uh, you see, gives you that honor, gives you that honor. I've seen people that should have had no respect for any other thing, but because they know the Lord and the presence of God is upon them, they received a lot of honor. You know, that is what is called in glory here. Not in the perspective of glorification, because that is ideally going to come at the end of the age. But uh, what he calls glory here, I think NIV has a better interpretation, is actually honor. Friends, they are godly people that you've seen, and they don't have, like, a lot of money. It is not the position that they have in the world, but it is their knowledge of God. And you get into their presence, and there is this air around them. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about here? It is a very, very important thing. And friend, for me, you can have everything else. This is what I crave for. I want this honor from God, not the sort of honor that exalts you over others. This is ideally not what God is talking about, but in a sense, it sets you apart for God. And usually people that are set apart for God or things that are set apart for God, they have this divine air about them. They are people that you're going to be compelled to honor or respect, you know, not that they have earned it, um, but that they deserve it, not on their own, but but by what God has done in their lives. You understand that? This is what happens with a good minister of God. Humble, yeah? Not the mighty, not the mighty man of a small God, yeah? Not that sort of uh, comparing um, physically and mechanically, comparing honor that men of God, we men of God want to bestow upon ourselves and we force you to respect us with the sort of cars that we drive and we come and we are shaking the ground and we have all this security detail and these long gowns for suits and the way we speak is like, you know, we are the Alpha and Omega, not that kind of honor. That's not what I'm speaking about. I'm speaking of the kind of honor that mean men like Elijah, men like Elisha had, men that would discern things far away in other countries while they are actually here in Israel. <laughs> you understand that? And, <coughs> excuse me, and men that are sitting with the enemy, like King Ben-Hadad, are telling him there is an honorable man, a powerful man that can discern things that, in plans and plots that you hatch in your bedroom. They can discern them and they fear them. You see, honor upon men like Jacob, um, before his uncle Laban, that is chasing him, and God comes and tells Laban, do not touch him, do not say to him a thing, whether bad or good. And he goes in the morning and says, wewe, chunga, I could have done something wrong to you, but the problem is the God of your father came to me last night and he, he told me not to simply joke with you. You see that? That kind of honor is what I'm talking about. The Bible does that. That kind of glory, it does that. In Psalm 85 and verse 9, the Bible teaches and uh, says that um, 
it teaches and says, speaking of the same point here, that um, surely his salvation is near those who fear him, yeah? That his glory may dwell in our land is the same glory that he released upon Israel. Uh, so this is why you see when someone messes up, does something wrong, even if you're standing way up there in the matters of the church and you mess up. And this is my prayer, my friend. It is my personal prayer. And I pray there are many people when you do ministry, they hear us on radio and many other places. And they tell you, everyone, may the Lord give you the very best thing that you love. Maybe they think you're going to say cow or something. The thing that I love is my fellowship here on earth with the Lord, never to be tainted and eternally to make it to his presence. That is the prayer that I pray that you make for me. You see, this is why when you lose your fellowship with God, when you do something evil, when you come to the light of media, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's terrible. There is a way that the name of God is put in disrepute. There is a way that people put you not down, but there is a way that you put yourself down and people do not respect you as they should until you put things right. That is what God takes away from you. He takes away your, the cushion and the insulation of his honor and protection upon your life. I pray, my friend, that we should think about the honor that God has bestowed upon us for the, his sakes, for his name's sake. You see, every time we mess up, like you're, you're caught in immorality, like a cheating company money, like those kind of things, people are going to say, but that man is a minister of the word. Oh, how ashaming. This is my prayer that we should that we would think about the name of the Lord that can easily be thrown into disrepute. I need to be... Um, uh, closing this down, I need to wind up. Uh, finally, he speaks about provision. Powerful, powerful statement here. He says in uh, verse 11 um, at the end, he says that uh, um, uh, the Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who whose way of life is blameless. In other words, he's telling you that no good thing is going to be withdrawn from you or that you're not going to receive as long as you fear him and you know him. Now listen to me and listen good. Now, someone is going to be discouraged because oftentimes we interpret scripture the wrong way. We misinterpret scripture. We get our own perceptions and plant them upon scripture. And we pastors have done a good job of misleading people, especially about lots of scriptures in the Bible. When we hear that, then what comes to someone's mind is that whatever I want, God is going to give me. No friend. When we interpret the Bible, we look at the context and we also look at the general biblical framework, you know, because the Bible is one complete unit. Now, if you go to, um, if you go to um, John chapter 15 and verse 7, he teaches well and he says, if you dwell in me and my word dwells in you, um, ask for anything or pray for anything and it shall be granted unto you. Do you know what that means in perspective? It means that if God dwells in you, his will is going to become your will. Yeah, that then God is going to guide you into his will and therefore you'll be praying his will and therefore if you pray for my will that will be done basically that is what it means otherwise all of us would be uh, <laughs> would be having houses on mars or the moon would be having you know mansions on the oceans would be flying like angels because people have all sorts of weird wishes <laughs> but what it means here is no good thing that is in the will of the lord for your life shall he not do
That is what it means. But these days you find us pastors telling you, today you're getting this, you're overcoming, you're overcoming your enemy. In fact, he's dying. He's breaking into pieces. You're having that car. You're having that building. That is wrong. That is not what the Bible is saying. You get that, my friend? And uh, let me just quote one of such verses uh, that is very powerful but often misinterpreted. In Psalm 34, verse 8, David gloriously Spitfield man speaking about something that God had revealed to him out of the several battles and the incursions of the enemy that he had to undergo. In Psalm 34 verse 8 he says, Test and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people. For those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. That is actually what he means in uh, perspective and proper context there. Friend, God will supply your needs according to his riches in glory. He will supply your needs. He knows what you need. Some of us are crying for things which if God gave us today, they would destroy us. And that is why he keeps on holding on. He's not going to explain everything to you right now. But some of these we are going to understand, like Paul says, when we see him. Look at Job. Job didn't know why he had to undergo all that ordeal until he got into uh, to, to the very end of it, you know, Asaph did not get to understand why he had to undergo that ordeal in Psalm 73 until he gets to the presence of the Lord in a, around verse 18 onwards. And he says, what do I have in heaven in verse 25 after he has discerned things and the way that they they are. Finally, he says, Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you, meaning that the epitome and fullness and absolute sense uh, of, of blessing ultimately is in the Lord Almighty, which in Hebrew means the Lord of hosts, the Lord of heavenly hosts, meaning there's no other army that can be over him, which means that the blessing that is ultimately given in his presence is the only and ultimate blessing that you need. You see that, my friend? Friends, as I wind this up, I don't know what else has taken your life and what else you're striving about and what you're lacking right now. Ideally, what God means is look no further than me. Come to my one-man league. God plays in his own league. And if you want to be a winner, you simply have to join him. Um, uh, there is only one choice. There is God and only God. Basically, that is what it is. Um, the psalmist in Psalm 16, 11, he says... Um, um, that um, he says that you make known to me the path of life. You'll fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. This is why Peter in John 6, when God asks him, do you also want to go? He told him, where shall we go? You have the words of life. Friend, with this, I want to come to the end of the exposition of this psalm. We are talking about craving for the presence of God. Look no further. What is it that is, you know, stealing your presence away from the presence of the Lord? What is it that is taking you away from God? What is it that is embittering you before God, making you feel like God doesn't care about you? I'm here to tell you that God really cares about you and look no further. No matter how far you go, no matter where uh, you go, you definitely realize that it is all vain. That side is all vanity. You need to get back to the Lord. And no matter how far you've fallen, if you come back to him, he's ready to receive you. And in his presence, even when you don't have a thing, subjectively, subjectively speaking, in the way of the world, you're going to find your fulfillment in Christ. Lord, here we are. Here we stand and here we surrender to you. 
There is anyone that has not known Christ Jesus as a personal Lord and Savior. May they surrender to you because in your presence we have fullness of joy and there is fullness of life. You have And you have treasures by your right hand. We surrender to you, Lord. We come back to you. Many of us have tried to run away from you through our careers, our jobs, our relationships, through our disappointments and heartbrokenness. But today we turn around and we get back to your King of Glory. We have a one-way ticket boat. We don't intend to go back unto the world. Here we are, my King of Glory, into your magnificent magnanimous presence we want to stand here we are we surrender friend if you had gone away from god or you have if you, if you had never known him just surrender your life to him and tell him dear lord here i stand i surrender to you i give you my life come and take control and come and uphold me in your power and in your majesty for your honor and glory may you rid me of my sin myself direction that I may surrender to you in every way. Give me your spirit, O Lord, and may your spirit control my life into eternity. In Jesus' mighty name I've prayed. Amen. God bless you.